this is my first episode not sitting in front of a camera. And I got to say, it's nice. I made the decision that video was way too complicated and way too difficult to do in Liberia. And as much practice as I've already had doing it, staring into a camera and talking is really difficult. Like this is so much more comfortable. And having said that, if you haven't subscribed already, or if you haven't left me a review or a rating, I'd really appreciate it if you did that. That helps me get these episodes out to more people, which is kind of my goal in a way, not really for self-promotion or for monetary gain or anything like that. Really, the purpose of making these is to reach people who are in the same position as me, but think they're alone. And for those of you who have reached out to me already and shared your stories and shared where you are in your journey through all of this, I really appreciate that. It's encouraging. It's helped me and I hope it's helped you. So with that out of the way, this is The Awkward Apocalypse, a deconstruction podcast that examines Christian culture against the authority of scripture. I'm Corey Kuhn, and today I want us to talk about tithing. This is the catchy theme song. This is the catchy theme song. Tithing, or just obligatory giving in general, is a really sensitive topic for people who are deconstructing. And the reason it's sensitive is because a lot of people have really been hurt by this teaching. And a lot of people who are deconstructing kind of started their deconstruction from a position of hurt. And really, I'm no exception to that. And so for a lot of people, this mandated giving that's taught by a lot of churches is at least one source of that hurt that they feel. Because for a lot of people, the idea of tithing or mandated giving by the church just feels like a scam because a lot of people who come out of something that they would consider to be a scam, one of their sources of shame or anger is looking back at the way they so willingly put their money into something that they now know is a fraud. And so for a lot of people who are deconstructing, they feel like the church teaching them that they must give to the church was part of that manipulation that they fell for. And I've even spoken with people who had their church reach out to them and let them know that they know that they're no longer giving to the church and to strongly encourage them to pick that habit back up and keep giving to the church. I I know that's probably an extreme example, but it happens. And so a lot of people have been burned by this. Now, having said that, I don't believe that a vast majority of churches that teach mandated giving like this are doing it from a place of deceit or manipulation or any kind of malicious motives. I think that there are a ton of faithful Bible-believing churches that teach that Christians ought to be tithing to the church, and they are healthy churches, and they just happen to hold this particular belief, which I don't think is necessarily wrong for them to do. As I'll go over in a minute, I don't think it's necessarily biblical. I I think it's a little bit of a stretch, but to hold this belief is not to be heretical or anything like that. And of course, there are some churches out there like mega churches or super charismatic churches that actually fake miracles with the intention of getting money from people, like exploiting people. So, I mean, yeah, those churches do exist and those aren't even churches. Those are just scams. But I would argue that most churches that teach that Christians must give to the church are not doing it from a place of intentional deceit or anything like that. I think to place those motives on all churches who teach this would be very inaccurate. Now, having said that, I'm going to look at the most popular verses that are used to teach that Christians must tithe to the church, but this isn't really an exegetical podcast. This isn't a podcast where I'm going to break down the Greek and the Hebrew and go deep into the culture and the context and all those sorts of things. This is more of a podcast that I want you to be able to listen to while you're like driving. So I don't really want to get into too many details. And a lot of other people who are way smarter than me, who know way more Greek and Hebrew than I do, have already put out a lot of material on this. 
and it's pretty easy to find if you Google it. So I don't really want to focus on the particular details of these verses. Instead, I want to look at these verses from a big picture. I'm a big picture kind of person, and I like to kind of put everything together so I can look at all of it at once. So what I want to do is I want to look at these verses, and I want to look at the inconsistencies that surface when we interpret these verses as mandatory giving on the life of a Christian. I want to look at the inconsistencies that come from that and the effects that that has on the church. Now, to begin with, probably the most popular verse on tithing comes from the book of Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, which says that the people of God have robbed God, and the way that they've robbed God is by not tithing. And then the text goes on to say that if the people do tithe, it's like a test of God, and, and they're encouraged to do that, and then God says that he will pour out his blessings on them if they tithe. And so this text is taught in a lot of these churches that teach that Christians must give to the church. And basically the argument goes like this. If you don't tithe, you are robbing from God. And if you do tithe, watch how God will bless you. And that's not necessarily prosperity preaching. Like that's literally in the Bible. Like it says that, but I think there are a few problems with this interpretation. And like I said, I'm not going to get deep into the context and the Hebrew and all that kind of stuff. I just want to list a couple details because those will be important for later. Now, I think the most important point to note about these verses is that this was given under a different covenant. We are no longer under the old covenant of the Old Testament. Like that's actually what Old Testament means. It means old covenant. Although within the Old Testament, there are different covenants. There's the covenant with Adam. There's the covenant with Abraham. There's the covenant with Moses, David. There are different covenants within the Old Testament. But the point is that this particular passage is taught to those living under these old covenants. And under the old covenant, there was the Levitical priesthood, which was responsible for receiving and then managing the tithes that the people brought. And it was a totally different system than what the church is today. To draw a direct parallel from the Levites to the church is a huge stretch. And it's, I just don't think there's a biblical basis for that. Like, yeah, there's a lot of similarities and there's definitely some sort of continuation going on there, but to equate the two is biblically just not sound. And I think in passing, the other thing I would note about this passage is that the word you is there. It's talking about you have robbed God. And I think the tendency for us as like American Christians is to read any passage with the word you as if it's talking to us. And I think what we miss is that this is a specific exhortation given to a specific group of people for a specific reason. And they're living under a different covenant than us. Like this is a totally different context. It's a prophet bringing the word of God to a particular group of people. And and we do this a lot with old Testament passages where we'll take the passages that we like. And then when we see the word you, we assume it's talking to us. Probably the easiest example of this is Jeremiah 29, 11, which I mean, I'm sure you've heard it before. It talks about, you know, how God has plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to destroy you, plans to give you hope in a future. And we love that. We see that word you there and we go, oh yeah, that's me. But what we miss is that that's literally talking to the people of God, the Israelites who are in exile and it's God's promise to deliver them from exile. The context of that is God talking to a specific group of people through a prophet. And he wasn't talking to us. I mean, compare that to Nahum 3, 5. That verse is God talking through a prophet to a particular group of people and saying, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and will lift up your skirt over your face. And then it goes on and on about how God's going to shame these people. I've never seen that verse printed on a t-shirt. 
But I mean, it's kind of the same, right? It's God talking to a group of people and the word you is there, but it's kind of the opposite of Jeremiah 29, 11. So if Jeremiah 29, 11 is a source of comfort for you, then Nahum 3, 5 should terrify you because both of them apply to you. Because on the one hand, God's going to bless you and give you a hope and a future. But then on the other hand, you could also apply the other verse where God's going to be against you and is going to shame you. And that should be a legitimate reason why you're afraid. And so I think I just see inconsistencies. Like we just kind of take the verses we want and then we ignore the implications of what applying that verse to us actually means. Let me give you another example. Probably the second most popular verse on tithing that's taught is when Jesus in Luke eleven forty two is talking to the Pharisees and he's calling them out for not observing the weightier matters of the law while holding to the smaller matters of the law, which he says they should be observing like tithing. And the fact that Jesus tells the Pharisees that they should be tithing, a lot of people take that and then they apply it to us and say, therefore, we should be tithing too to the church. But again, the Pharisees were still under the old covenant. They were required to follow their own laws and their laws included tithing. Now, like I said, I don't want to get into the context too much. That's not the purpose of doing this. The reason I actually bring this up is because I want to compare that again to another passage, which I've talked about in previous episodes, which is the rich young ruler. In the example of the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and asks him how he can receive eternal life. And then Jesus tells him, if he sells all he possesses and gives to the poor, he will have treasure in heaven. Now, in one of my first episodes, when I talked about this passage, a lot of people gave me feedback on that particular part of my episode where I talk about the rich young ruler and just brought to light how complex of a passage this is and how many different interpretations there are for the rich young ruler. But as I mentioned in that episode, one of the ways it's taught is just that Jesus was testing him, that he was giving a specific command to a specific person at a specific time. And I think one of the reasons we arrive at that conclusion is because if Jesus is actually teaching that we should sell all we possess and give to the poor, that's a pretty convicting passage to preach, especially to Americans. I mean, how many times have you heard a pastor get into the pulpit and tell the congregation that if they want to really follow Jesus, they should sell everything they have and give to the poor? Like, I've never heard that sermon. But I've heard the sermon plenty of times that talks about how Jesus talks to the Pharisees and tells them that they should be tithing. Therefore, we as Christians should be tithing. And I just see an inconsistency there in the way that we're interpreting scripture. Because if we're going to interpret the passage where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and telling them to tithe, and even though he's talking to a specific group of people at a specific time under a specific covenant that we're not under anymore, and then we're going to apply that to ourselves and say, therefore, Christians should tithe. It just seems weird that we would read the rich young ruler and then say, well, that doesn't really apply to us. Jesus is just talking to one guy. It just seems inconsistent to me is really my point. So the main reason I'm bringing up those passages is to talk about how there's kind of a bias, I think, in the way that we interpret these passages, at least for churches that teach that tithing is mandatory. I think that there's a little bit of a bias to arrive at a particular conclusion. And that conclusion is Christians should give to the church. And I mean, yes, churches do stand to benefit from arriving at that particular conclusion. So I think there is at least a bias. I don't think it's a manipulation. I don't think it's deceit, but I think that bias at least does exist. But there are problems that come from that. And I think the first problem that I really have with this teaching is the way that churches equate giving to the church to giving to God. And I remember the first time I heard that as a kid. I thought that literally I was giving to God when I put money in the offering plate. Like I I thought that the ushers took the plates to the back of the church right after the offering was given. And I thought that they held the offering plates up like in, in some room in the back of the church. And then a big beam of light came down and just took all the money up to like some heavenly bank. That's what I thought when I was a child. 
But needless to say, when I got older and I realized that my tithe money was going to paying like the church bills and for like repairs around the church building and like instruments for worship and things like that, I actually stopped giving to the church because I was like, wait, what? That's it? That's what I'm giving my money to? And I started giving money to one of my friends in Haiti and I was like, there, that's my tithe. I'm going to give 10% to this kid I met on a mission trip who wants to go to school because I was really fed up. Like I just saw where the money was going. I was like, wait, what? Like, that's giving to God? Paying bills to me that it didn't inspire me to give to the church, I guess. And I think that a lot of churches take this idea of giving and make it kind of one dimensional, like giving in the Christian life can have a lot of different applications and can look very different in different contexts. But for us in our sort of Christian culture, I think giving always means giving to something that can give you a tax write off. So either a nonprofit or a church. And now look, I run a nonprofit. And so I hope that Christians would want to support that. And some people actually give their tithe to us. And I'm really grateful for that. But do I think it is mandated on the life of a Christian? No, I think it's part of the fruit of being a Christian is you want to give. But a lot of times we take giving and we just see it in terms of nonprofit and church. Now, giving to a nonprofit or church is not bad, but I just think there are so many other ways that you can be giving as a Christian. I don't think giving is always financial. Like, I think that opening your home to people who need a place to sleep is a form of giving. We have been blessed with resources, with money, with time, with energy, and giving those to bring the kingdom of God to earth, I think is giving. I don't think that Christian giving is just writing a check, but churches have done this thing where they say giving to the church is giving to God. And I just think that's a card that the church has been playing for too long because it's not fair. It's not fair to say that giving to us is giving to God because it's not, it's just not. Like, yes, in the verse in Malachi, he talks about how if you're not giving to God, you are robbing God. And the way that you give to God is through your tithes. But again, I just don't think that's the same thing as the church. That parallel just does not exist. And like I've said in another episode, I think that the American church is wildly irresponsible with the money that it has. A lot of that money that's given to the church is funneled back into the church to pay for things that they don't necessarily need. I think that the church in a lot of cases is really irresponsible with the money that it has. And so if I'm giving to God, when I give my tithes to the church, why is the church not being responsible with it? Like, is that really what giving to God looks like? And so if I'm giving to God, when I give my money to the church, why is it not being used responsibly? And yes, I understand the church is the bride of Christ. And I understand that the church is also imperfect, but a lot of these churches function more as institutions than they do ministries. And to exist as an institution or a business and then claim to be God, like that that's a business move. That's actually just playing the God card to guilt people into giving. And like I said before, I don't think it's manipulative, but I do think it's an abuse of power. But I think what also strikes me as kind of strange about churches preaching to members that they should be giving to the church is that there needs to be convincing in the first place. Like I understand if people who don't really take their faith very seriously, like they attend church, but they're not really serious Christians. I understand if they have a hard time giving to the church because that's just not where their priorities are. But if there are truly regenerated Christians within a congregation who struggle with giving and you have to preach at them to convince them to give, to tell them that it's their moral obligation to give, something is wrong there and it might not be the giver. And in the same way that churches are always trying to convince their believers to tithe, a lot of churches are always trying to convince their believers to come to church. Like I'll see these pictures circulating around social media where it shows, you know, some fans in a football stadium freezing in their ponchos, sitting in the rain or doing something really extreme so that they can watch their sports team play. And and it says something like, you know, if, if you can do this on Saturday, you can do this on Sunday. And it shows like someone sitting in a comfortable pew. If you have to convince legitimate believers to go to church, like maybe the 
problem isn't the believer. Like maybe it's the church. And I think churches just so often play this card where they're the ones that get to heap guilt on you and convict you without having to question themselves. Like if a church is actually engaged in worthy ministry, you shouldn't have to convince people to give to that. Like for us in Africa, when I'm raising money for something, I don't come to people and heap guilt on them and tell them that you should be caring for the orphans and the widows and like throw Bible verses at them. I just show them the work we're doing and assume that it's going to inspire them to give. And if it's something they really care about, they will give. I've never had to guilt trip someone to give to this ministry. And I don't think churches should have to either. I think that people should see the work that churches are doing in the community and in the lives of the people in the congregation, and they should want to give to that. The Bible says that we should give with a cheerful heart, but how can you give with a cheerful heart if you're not cheerful about the things that you're giving to? I mean, you can't force happiness, right? You can't force yourself to be excited about something that you're not legitimately excited about. So when churches command Christians to give with a cheerful heart, they should also be examining critically what it is the Christians are giving to. Usually they're commanded to give to the church. And then they should ask the question, is our church something that inspires our people to give to? And I don't mean some fancy production or anything like that. I mean, legitimate Christians, people who love Jesus and love the gospel. Are we as a church doing things that inspire these people to come alongside us and give to us? And if not, maybe the church is the problem, not the giver. And I think just for too long, churches have had this monopoly on guilt where they're the ones that get to heap guilt on their congregants. And it hurts a lot of people. And I think there is a healthy need to turn that focus back to the church and ask the question, is the church being a church that inspires people to give to it? And if the answer to that is yes, then this mandate on tithing and on giving to the church shouldn't be necessary. But I think the church, which so often preaches stewardship and generosity and giving to the church, should also look at itself and make sure it is being a good steward of the money that it's receiving and not wasting it on stupid, unnecessary things. And the fact that a lot of churches in America do waste money on stupid and unnecessary things, I think is the reason why a lot of churches have to preach giving because people are not inspired to give to that. And so I think a lot of people who have been hurt by the mandate to give are hurt for a good reason, because they feel cheated, because they feel like the money that they've given has gone to something that doesn't ultimately matter. And that money could have been used for something much better, for some greater purpose or some greater cause. And I think that is legitimate. The church in America could operate on a small fraction of what it takes in every Sunday morning. That's stewardship. That's responsibility. And I think we as believers should call the church to that stewardship and responsibility. So if you find yourself in a position where you are struggling to give to the church, there might be a few reasons for that. First, you might just not believe in the way that the funds are being used, which has kind of been the focus of this podcast. Or maybe you just don't subscribe to the ministry of the church, which if that's the case, why are you there? But if that's the case, I think you do have a right to question the church in the way that it uses its resources. As I've shared in other episodes, I think that's a legitimate concern. And I think a lot of churches could benefit from its members pressing them on what they are using their money for. And I think that a lot of churches would actually benefit if it had its members, its congregants, calling into question and critically examining the way that the money that they are giving to the church is being used. Another reason might be that you're just not seeing the greater purpose behind the mundane. So I've talked about how some of the money is used to paying bills and how as a teenager that really didn't sit well with me. But a lot of churches do have these bills and those are not necessarily bad things. 
for us as missionaries, we have some bills to pay that aren't really like glamorous. It's not like fun to give money to those things, things like health insurance or something like that. And yeah, people might not be as inspired to give to our health insurance as they are to give food to a hungry child or something like that. But that's an example of there being a greater purpose behind the mundane. Behind the mundane health insurance is our presence here and our presence here enables those children to be fed. And so if you're struggling with this, I would encourage you to look beyond the bills and ask the question, ultimately, is the church or ministry that I'm giving to doing good things? And are those bills necessary for the church or ministry to accomplish its task? Or to put it another way, I think what I would really ask is, do I trust this ministry? Do I trust this church that it will use these resources responsibly? And if it believes that these bills are necessary, then I trust that. Because there are some things that maybe we pay for that some people might look at and say, I bet you could go without that. But maybe for us in our experience, that thing is necessary, whatever it might be. So really it comes down to, do you trust this organization or person or ministry in your giving? And I think a third reason that you might be struggling with giving might just be fear. Some people are afraid to give, even if it is a legitimate cause that they're giving to. And I think for that, I would want to offer you some encouragement. And by way of encouragement, I would actually ironically point to the verse I talked about earlier, Malachi chapter three, verse 10. And I would point to the final word of that verse. A lot of people, I think, miss this word, but the final word of verse 10 is the word need. God promises to pour down blessing until there is no more need. And I think that's really the key to overcoming that fear of giving is that there actually is a principle that we can derive from this text. And I don't think that principle is as specific as a lot of churches make it. I don't think that principle is necessarily you must give to the institutional church. And if you give to the institutional church, God will bless you, which is sometimes the way it's preached. I think the real application of that verse is when you give in a way that you are commanded to give, God will take care of you. And that, I believe, is completely biblical. And to prove that, I would point to the Sermon on the Mount. I would point you to Matthew 6, 33, where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And that's in the context of Jesus talking about being anxious for the things that you need. So he says, if you seek him first, if you seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, he will meet your needs. So this isn't just some principle I'm deriving from an obscure Old Testament passage. This is in the Sermon on the Mount from the lips of Jesus. And I think that is true biblical giving. I think when we seek first the kingdom of God, yes, we are going to write checks, but that's not all the Christian life is. See, I think sometimes Christians can feel like if they're tithing, they're doing their part as a Christian. If they're giving financially, then that's their call as a Christian. Like I think a lot of wealthy Christians think that way, that as long as they're giving their money, they're doing their part as a Christian. But I think the Christian life is so much more than financial. I think that giving is way more more than just money. God promises that when we seek first his kingdom, he will meet our needs. So if you're afraid to give, rest in the providence of God that he will provide for you and he will take care of you if you are faithfully giving to him and his kingdom. And yes, I do think that includes giving to the church. The point of this podcast is not to say that Christians should not be giving to the church. I think that if you are a true Bible-believing Christian, you will want to give to the church but the church does not merely exist as an institution. And Christian giving is so much more than just money. Because I don't think that biblical giving is just giving 10% to some tax-deductible institution, but I think giving is giving 100% of your life to God and his kingdom, knowing that he will provide for you and he will take care of you if you are faithful to that call. That's how you give to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to check out the ministry that we do in Liberia, just visit standingsidebyside.org. If you'd like to make a donation, you can just Venmo at Standing Side by Side, or there's a donation tab on the website. 
If you feel alone or if you'd just like to share your story with someone, feel free to reach out to me. Thank you so much for listening. Keep the faith.